Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Malo Lele and welcome to the world in sport from RNZ Pacific. I'm Korovaka Uta. This week, a Samoan sprinter is hyped for his first Commonwealth Games and a new head of a Pacific welfare group has high hopes for the future. But first, Samoa's Women's Rugby League team has had a successful Commonwealth Nines Championship tournament, bagging the silver medal in Queensland last week. The Samoans had missed out on recent international play with the likes of the Cook Islands and Papua New Guinea representing the Pacific at the 2017 Women's World Cup. But at the Commonwealth Nines, Fiji, PNG, Tonga and Samoa all took part. Samoa defeated Fiji 24-6 and Tonga 20-0 during the tournament, but lost twice to Australia, including in the gold medal match by 14-8. Samoa's assistant coach Rodney Hall says the performance started with a strong build-up. I guess with uh, all the preparation and and all that, uh, the tournament went well. We just had to take it one one game at a time in in terms of uh, managing uh, the girls and also managing the injuries. Why why do you think there was such a success from this tournament? Yeah, we had our trials. uh, We actually formed a team and gave the girls a a, fitness program. Step two, uh, weekly program, uh, entered Kevin Matter 9, uh, took out that, that tournament, playing Tonga, Tonga in the final, and um, just also in between then and the actual uh, game, um, just monitoring the girls in terms of uh, their fitness. The tournament itself, the um, the, the Commonwealth Nines, why, um, what were some of the keys to uh, doing well there? Just playing, uh, just having structure within within our team, uh, using the girls uh, correctly and and different positions. Uh, playing against Fiji, uh, we knew the Fijians were, were tall and 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 quick. Uh, we just maintained our um, our defense, stayed tight in the middle. We went too too fast if they, if they scored on the fringes. Uh, we just maintained the, the middle, and, and that worked for us. And and um, overcome Fiji. Um, same strategy for, for Australia as well, but uh, I think our first game, our girls gave Australia uh, too much respect, and we actually made mistakes ourselves, and um, and that's where the, the Aussies just uh, capitalised on, on our mistakes and, and, and scored uh, against us. How much of a, a good experience will it be for the girls to have played Australia, who, who obviously play a lot of league? I think they learned from the first game um, by by giving them too much respect. Um, they, were, they were a bit uh, kind of awestruck. But then going into the second game, uh, first game was behind them. We gave them respect in terms of acknowledgement and then the, the rest of the game on. Um, the Aussies, uh, we, we actually in reality only had five days prep. That's including Kevin Matter and, and four days while we were there. Australia, uh, their preparation is that they've had 
you know, 12 months uh, preparation as a team and as an organisation. In terms of, of the game and the result that we've achieved, uh, I think the girls have done a, an awesome job. Yeah, and obviously it's a team game, but were there any individual players that you thought stood out and, and maybe put their hand out over the weekend? In terms of individual, uh, uh, there's a high calibre of all these skills where they come from and, and the talents that they have. Um, but I think at, at the end of the day, they work well as a team. There was no individuals that, uh, that kind of took it on, on themselves to uh, play the game for themselves. You know, all the girls just, just play together and and in terms of, of the purpose, um, uh, the girls know what the purpose is, and for us to achieve it, uh, everyone just still has to stay on target. It sounds great, and obviously Samoa have missed out um, uh, in recent years on the World Cup stage, but um, you know this bodes well for the future for Samoan Rugby League? Uh, I, I think as, as an organisation um, and as a country, it's... Uh, um, Everyone's on the buzz in terms of uh, what's been achieved uh, from the girls with the silver medalist and also with um, the boys with, with, with the bronze medal, um, and especially this occasion, uh, Com- Commonwealth. Uh, it's a big achievement. Um, uh, achieving medals is, is, is good uh, financially, you know, as uh, most of us were sort of, uh, self-funded, but um, all you've got to do is, is play what you, what you have in your hand and just go for it. That's Samoa Women's Rugby League assistant coach Rodney Hall. The Oceania 100 metre gold medalist Jeremy Dodson is hoping to represent Samoa at April's Commonwealth Games for the first time. The US born sprinter, who ran 10.58 seconds in October in Fiji and ran the 200 metres at the 2016 Rio Olympics, says he's excited about the prospect of participating at the Gold Coast Games. He told Vinnie Wiley being brought up stateside, his knowledge of the Commonwealth event was limited. It'll be my first Commonwealth Games and my first time ever being a part of anything concerned with, I, I guess, the British territories. So that's been the whole focus this year. Since there isn't an Olympic Games, nor is there a world championship for outdoors, the big, I guess, international competition is the Commonwealth Games, as well as world indoors. So I've been, since... October. I've been training, hopefully leading up to World Indoors in the UK coming up in the first week of March. And then hopefully that momentum will carry me down to um, Commonwealth Games with hopes to tune up in New Zealand Champs and a few meets in Australia beforehand. And are you focusing on the 100, 200? Are you doing both this time? or I am focusing on whatever's going to give me success. To, honest, to be honest, I'm still... 200 is still the strength, but I'm working on technical things for the 100 so that they both can go hand in hand. I'm a type of runner that is pretty versatile. I can go anywhere from the 100, 200 to the 400 meters. So if I stick to training for the two, I can basically go back and forth. And how are you feeling in terms of uh, how close are you away from peak condition? Do you, do you feel like come April at Gold Coast, you'll be ready to, to do a good time? or It's difficult timing for the majority of the athletes since we are in Northern Hemisphere. Um, we haven't had an outdoor track meet since, I guess, the last of September. So a lot of our competitions have been indoors with the 60 meters and and short tracks, 200-meter uh, tracks. So I haven't really been able to stretch out and actually run outside and compete. So I'm kind of progressing my season and running in as many indoor meets as possible and trying to find wherever I can to get some type of competition 
So it's going to be, it's an interesting year since I'm having to fast forward my training, where usually I'll try to peak maybe summertime and not so much in April. Being based in the US and obviously growing up in that system, uh, you know, when you were preparing for the Olympics, obviously your friends in the US team or fellow US uh, sort of runners, obviously they all had that same goal, but competing for Samoa in the Commonwealth Games, which obviously doesn't register in, in America. Uh, any of your sort of fellow athletes or, you know, does it just completely change your program because you're working towards, as you say, something that's not at an ideal time, it's completely different. Uh, how, how does that work with, uh, you know, the people you interact with over there? Usually the, the U.S. athletes would um, still be in base training. We'll build up for maybe four or five months of base training and then we'll slowly get into competitions where we would need maybe at least 12 competitions, 12 great races to be race sharp for the, the big meets. But now since we're only in indoor season, I'm having to cut down my base training and go so much to as many meets as possible indoors, and hopefully I can translate outdoors. So just a lot of competitions while others are still in base training. I'm hoping to be race, race sharp sooner than they are. And uh, in terms of uh, the Commonwealth Games, uh, do you know, is your place confirmed in that squad yet for Samoa? I, I assume it's confirmed. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out if there's a, since, I guess since the cyclone hit, they're kind of busy with other stuff, rebuilding their communities. So that track and field is kind of in the background. So I'm not trying to bother them to get to make sure that, oh, we got to submit entries. We got to make sure everything is done. So fingers crossed, I'm maybe like 85% sure I'm on the team, but you never know. It's the logistics behind everything is the hard part for Samoa. Yeah, in terms of qualification, I am set. And obviously you no doubt grew up uh, dreaming of becoming an Olympian and you achieved that goal in Rio. Um, what what do you know of the Commonwealth Games growing up and uh, what would it mean to be a part of that competition to you? We have something similar in the US or North America, which is called the Pan American Games, which is all of the Americas, North and South. We all come together and compete I thought that was large enough until I heard huge accomplishments were centered around Commonwealth Games. A lot of big athletes use the Commonwealth Games as the start of their Olympic cycle. So how they do here leads up to next year's World Championships, and that is all the momentum to the Olympic Games. So this is supposed to be a great meet, a great competition, a great venue to get the juices flowing, and I'm excited to be part of it. It's a great meet for smaller countries within the Oceania region to really compete. Some sports on um, the Olympic Games is a little bit out of reach for them. And then in some sports, um, Oceania's is, Oceania Championships is a little too minute for them. So the Commonwealth Games is a great competition to see where everyone's at and compared to the rest of the world. Uh, and of course, Jeremy, then next year, Samoa are now going to be hosting the Pacific Games uh, in Apia. Uh, do you think you'll still be around for that one? That's my goal. I would love to run in Apia and I would love to to give back to them um as a runner like you always want to you want to represent your country well and there's nothing better than representing your country on the home turf and on your home soil and to actually do well it's one thing to watch your your nation compete on tv but to watch it live i bet that would really uplift the country you obviously made some comments uh, back in october about the summer <laughs> olympic committee which got plenty of coverage uh what, what, what's the relationship like with them now? Have you guys had any sort of clear-the-air talks? Are you guys on good terms? Is there still a bit of frostiness? Well, after the talk back in October, so um, I did make a trip down to Samoa and hopefully to meet with the, the rest of the committee, but unfortunately they were all busy or out of the country at the time, so wasn't able to talk or clear the air, but 
emails back and forth. We were all hopefully came on the same page and hopefully we were able to move forward and progress the sport and progress the country. That's Samoan sprinter Jeremy Dodson. The former Pacific Island Rugby Players Association has named a new CEO who has a vision to educate and prepare young players better for the professional game. Aidan Clark heads what's now called Pacific Rugby Players, an advocacy group that was initially formed in 2013 to look after the collective interests of players from the islands. Clark told Vinnie Wiley there are a lot more opportunities for young players at the moment, but that doesn't mean the environment is any easier. Clark gave Bristol in the UK as an example of a club that was working well with its Pacific players, thanks largely to the leadership of coach and former Manu Samoa captain Pat Lamb. They're building a, a great culture, um, especially the Pacific Islanders within that club culture. Um, but they're not operating in silo, it's sort of right across the board. It's well known that Bristol has got um, a fairly large checkbook at the moment and, and Pat's fortunate enough to recruit the guys that he trusts can do a job for him. You know, he, he's obviously uh, thinking that the guys that he wants um, out there on the field to do the job is a lot of them are Pacific Island at the moment. And it's, it's really interesting. Actually, it's going to be um, interesting to see how that unfolds. I know that the boys are happy, they enjoy the environment, they've got great facilities there in Bristol. It's actually a really good town to live in, so um, it seems to be a popular place for the boys at the moment. Do you think in some respect, is it easier for international players that are representing Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, etc.? Is it easier in this modern environment for them to play up north in the United Kingdom, in France, what have you, in Japan even? Because... You know, as soon as they declare for a country like Manu Samoa or Fiji, it seems that if they're playing Super Rugby, for example, they it's almost easier to go offshore, be it because they can earn more money or be it because by declaring for a Pacific nation it makes their uh, ability to get a contract uh, down this part of the world a lot harder. The New Zealand rugby game have got to look after people who are eligible for the All Blacks and that's why um, regulations are in place about how many non-New Zealand or All Black eligible players they can pick. That obviously limits opportunities for the guys. But there's also there's various factors that go on around, you know, uh, visas and things like that that the next wave of players all have to take into consideration. But when I talk to the players, you know, they, they actually really enjoy living in different places. And the guys in Paris, the guys at racing and things like that just love the French culture. They love their other teammates. It's a real good mix. There's things like less travel uh, in Europe being able to be at home with your family a lot more, to give your kids different experiences in the north, to learn a different language. Um, there's lots of factors that go into it. It's not just financial that everyone thinks it is. It's obviously um, pretty enticing when you can, you can get some good money in, in Europe and UK and that, but it's not the only factor. And yeah, it's quite, I get very proud when the boys are making decisions around where they're going to live and play um, when they consider those sorts of factors before they go. That professional environment and uh, the improving conditions at clubs, how that's translating to the national teams. I mean, I know he's no longer um, the coach anymore, but Alama Itamir talked when he took over at Manu Samoa about you know needing to lift their game with the national team and the facilities and the standards yep. and what they do in training and replicate what happens for all these professional players when they're in their clubs to give confidence yep. to those clubs that they are you know, being treated well in that same way. Do you see improvements there? Is there a way to go for some teams? Oh, I do see improvements in the dealings with Fiji, Tonga, Samoa and the governance and the management there. There's obviously things that pop up that can always improve, uh, but across the board we're getting improvement, especially in, in countries like Fiji who are going fantastically well. We've managed to work with them and to get a team into the NRC competition now. They're now making noises about wanting things like seven circuits to be there and super rugby teams and things like that. It all comes about from them building their capability and I suppose that's a key role that we play and it's fantastic now that the players uh, have got a seat at those tables to work alongside the national unions um, with World Rugby 
um, and for us to help influence uh, just improving the game in general in those national teams and in within those island uh, community rugby as well. You know, for us to ensure that all that growth, that the players' welfare is kept at the forefront, uh, is always a chance. But, yeah, in general, um, there's lots of things happening that are positive in those different nations of varying degrees. When your representatives talk to the players in the game at the moment right now, what are what are the key sort of themes that keep recurring that, or the key issues that, you know, are most prevalent in their mind at the moment? When I'm talking to the players and we've got big work for the next sort of generations coming through uh, around agents and contracts. People, the young players understanding how to make good decisions. Um, there's a lot of activity and we hear a lot of you know, players going into, into countries such as you know, Romania or lower level French competitions and, and not being looked after in terms of their welfare. A lot of it comes back to making good decisions about where they relocate to. So that's a big work on for us and the senior players want us to focus on that as an organisation and trying to play a key role and, and we're working on a new agents charter and accreditation at the moment and to lead that so we can make improvements in that area. Um, the guys, you know, they, they just want opportunity to further themselves off the field and that's, you know, there's various personal development programs across the associations that already exist in the countries where they play, you know, New Zealand, um, UK, France, Ireland, all those countries. So we're going to play a key role in making sure that they connect in that, especially for 218, 219. Some of the boys making sure that they leverage off the opportunities that they have. Now and again, the question around super rugby teams pops up. But in general, the guys themselves and their families, um, there's, there's genuine you know, desire to improve themselves outside the game and also to make sure that the next uh, generation of players coming through make good decisions. In the Southern Hemisphere, uh, Super Rugby contracts are getting offered to people younger and younger and younger, uh, you know, in school still in some cases, uh, and, and then obviously uh, overseas we've seen with agents and, you know, France especially, uh, you know, recruiting very young from often from the Pacific Islands. Uh, so that, as you say, that next generation, these guys who are, you know, possibly not even out of school, is that is that quite a big focus for you guys as well as those guys already in the professional game? Yeah, it's massive for us, just like you alluded to. Guys getting picked up out of school um, and going into other schooling systems in different countries or just being picked up into the club. We have a big focus on that for our personal development, what we call pre-departure process and ensuring that the players is prepared as possible. And then 218, we're focusing on what our soft landing looks like soft landing is a term we talk about and making sure that when the player goes into those environments um, that they're best supported. You know, it's pretty tough if you if, if you don't speak a lot of English or if you haven't lived in a country like that before, just the basics of, of actual living, let alone um, getting used to the, to the rugby structures and things like that. Our, our, where, we, where we focus on at the moment is, is around educating the parents and players. It's about education to make those decisions. As you know, there's various pressures that sort of push these youngsters offshore, the opportunity to provide for their families back home. Um, the opportunity just to get ahead in life. So, you know, the pressure's there just to grab the first deal that comes up, you know, any opportunity. So that's the challenge for us, and what we focus on is educating, rolling out in the school and getting into the high-performance uh, under-20s teams and academies and making sure that these, um, not just the players, but the parents make good decisions. If we do that, then it's going to make lot my job a lot easier in future years, and we won't have the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff situation, which we have a lot now. Of trying to get guys out of sticky situations because they've made a, made a poor decision. So, you now we think if we roll our sleeves up and, and really dedicate our resource into that, and now it'll it'll um, it'll be a fruit in the future. That's the Pacific Rugby Players CEO Aidan Clark, and that's the World in Sport for this week from RNZ Pacific. I'm Koro Vakauta. Thanks for listening. Momea.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.